Luke chapter 24. Sermon text is Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. For a bit of context, I'll I'll read starting in verse 23 and verse 50. So just up, if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, just a couple of paragraphs up. Luke 23, verse 50. It says, God's word, it's given to his people for our good, under the inspiration of the Spirit, without error, perfect to accomplish the purposes of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. So I will read this passage and ask for a bit of a response afterwards. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You all respond together. Thanks be to God. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's word. Luke 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, And he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Daddy, did you hear? As I walked home from work on Thursday afternoon, this is what my four-year-old greeted me with. Daddy, did you hear? Did I hear what? I said. I, so it's Thursday, so I, I thought perhaps she was going to give me her five quick takeaways from the Mueller report, since everyone else on planet Earth had done that up to that point. As you know, my four-year-old can be given to deep theological insights, and this was no exception. Daddy, did you hear what, what, did I hear what, sweetie? Did you hear that there were bad guys who took Jesus 
and put him on the cross, but now he's alive. And she showed me a, a craft that she had make, made at preschool. It said, he is risen, nice little thing. You hang on your fridge or whatever. He is risen. I'm thankful. My, my, as I'm reflecting on this, my daughter uh, grasping that this is important, the story of the gospel, Jesus crucified at the hands of sinful men, raised again to new life. And it hits me with, uh, for certainly the thousandth or ten thousandth time, but it washes over me with a, a welcome freshness that this is news. In relation to all the news of the day, this is news. This is news that never gets old. This is news that always warrants our attention. And each time it washes over you in a new way and you realize it once again, the the good news of the gospel, you're reminded of how fickle the human mind is, how forgetful it can be, how easily this central truth takes a back seat in our lives, how easily it's dismissed off of center stage in the course of a week, a month, a year, or a decade. But this is news, real news, good news, eternal news for yesterday, today, and forever. It's unlike anything else because it gives meaning to the past, it gives help in the present, and it gives hope for the future. It gives meaning to the past, it gives help in the present, and it gives hope for the future. Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? We'll divide this passage into three sections. First, verses 1 through 5, seeking the living among the dead. Seeking the living among the dead. Second, verses 6 through 8, he is risen. And third, verses 9 through 12, come running, leave marveling. Come running, leave marveling. We read about Joseph of Arimathea who buries Jesus in a new tomb. We thought about that on Thursday night, the devotion, the faithfulness, the piety, the courage that Joseph shows in the shadow of the cross. The Gospel of Luke has given us this picture, the the faithful and pious one who follows Jesus, the one who has faith, is the one who shows forth that faith, a life of obedience, following Jesus. The women here are portrayed in a similar way. They show devotion and courage uh, to their Lord. They observe the Sabbath, which would have been the right thing for them to do. But the first thing that they do, what they're most concerned with, is getting to the tomb of the Lord Jesus. They saw Joseph, they observed him putting Jesus in this tomb, and they know that he needs to be anointed with ointments and spices. So that's what they are going to do. It's interesting, the Gospel of Mark tells us, as they're walking to the tomb, they are wondering who is going to roll away the stone. So they're not even sure how they're going to get into the tomb. They're, it seems like they don't really know for sure whether or not there's a, there's a Roman guard there. There are soldiers there guarding the tomb because the religious leaders of Israel don't want any funny business with Jesus or his body or his followers. So they're going to the tomb, showing faith, devotion, courage. Where are the eleven? Where are the apostles of Jesus, these women showing wonderful faith and courage and devotion? There are two discoveries as they get to the tomb. The first is what they do find. The second is what they don't find. They do find the stone rolled away. So problem solved relative to the Gospel of Mark. They do find the stone rolled away, but they don't find the body of Jesus. And this perplexes them. The word here for wondering, it's a a word about doubt and worry about what the truth is. They're bewildered. They're vexed. 
We ourselves perhaps wonder in the same way what what they're feeling now. Here they are, these blessed women, the three that are named and others with them. Uh, They go to the tomb and here they are staring at the evidence that will be the core of the comfort and the hope of God's people until the end of the age. And they're bewildered about it. We cannot blame them perhaps, but in just a few moments the angels are going to show up and they're going to say to them, Jesus told you this. He told you exactly what he was going to do. He was going to be handed over to sinful men, crucified, and he will be raised again on the third day. As Luke recounts the the resurrection in this chapter, a recurring theme is the the dullness of heart and mind of the followers of Jesus, the, the dullness of their minds to grasp the truthfulness of the resurrection, to grasp the implications of the resurrection. When confronted with that which is to be their ultimate comfort, they're confused. The same is true for us. When we are confronted, when we are given the news of that which is to be our ultimate comfort, we fail to grasp it in the way that God intends. A challenge for us this morning, brothers and sisters, this Easter Sunday, will we use that which God has given us for our comfort in the way that he intends? He has given us this resurrection As news, as good news for our hope and for our comfort, will we use it in the way that he intends? Will we see the way that it gets into all of the areas of our lives and changes it? Deuteronomy 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The manner of the resurrection may indeed be a mystery, exactly how God brought all this together Saturday evening, Saturday night, We don't have that account given to us. The secret things belong to the Lord. But he has revealed to us the fact of the resurrection. There's much about the manner of the resurrection that's a mystery to us, and that belongs to the Lord. But the fact of the resurrection is given to us and to our children forever. Will we use it for our good and for our comfort today? If Christ has not been raised, Christianity is a useless man-made invention to get to God. It's useless. We're to be most pitied. We're wasting our time. If Christ has not been raised. But indeed, thanks be to God, he has been raised. The truthfulness of the resurrection here, uh, we see it as Luke describes these two men. And we know from all the Gospels that these are two angels. Uh, Matthew and Luke, or sorry, Matthew and Mark have only one angel. Luke and John have two angels. Uh, But we know certainly there's number of ways you could explain that. Matthew and Mark only uh, want to talk about the one who perhaps speaks or speaks first. All kinds of ways that we can explain that in reasonable ways. But Luke and John are wanting to highlight something to us and bring us back to the laws of Deuteronomy that say a, a witness account is credible with two witnesses. We remember that in the trial of Jesus, that Herod and Pilate and everyone's agreeing that Jesus is innocent. He shouldn't be sent to the cross He's an innocent man, or even a righteous man. Here the same, the same law is invoked to remind us of the truthfulness of the resurrection. This is a credible account. I, of course, can imagine some of my skeptic friends who uh, would think about this and they would say, well, yeah, but what's going on here is angels are giving the account. Right? I don't believe in angels. I don't believe in spiritual beings. And so, in a sense, we see that The call of the gospel that calls us to faith, uh, God shows us things that we can use our reason in order to 
to, to, to determine the truthfulness of things, but there still is a call to faith. The Bible says that this is what is true. The Bible says that there is a spiritual realm beyond the world that we see. And yes, we believe that. We believe what the Bible says about these things. It is reasonable to believe in the resurrection of Christ. And there's all kinds of evidence. You think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Over 500 who had seen the Lord Jesus and went throughout the world telling exactly what it is that they had seen. But there's a call to faith, trusting in what God has said. And for us, that is the call, certainly, to believe in the truthfulness of the resurrection as God has revealed it to us. Reason is a part of what we do when we come to faith and thinking about all of these things, but faith is also a gift from God. And trusting and understanding that human minds and human understanding will fall short somewhere. But the gospel and the call to faith, uh, God gives us assurance through it. The angels say this fascinating thing too, why do you look for the living among the dead? A couple points to draw out of that. The first is rather simple. This is a tomb. Jesus is alive. Living people don't hang around tombs. Living people don't stay in tombs. You think of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. He comes out of the tomb because he's living. He's not going to remain in the place where dead people belong. It's interesting to think about Lazarus. He certainly would have had quite the understanding of the resurrection and uh, Resurrection Sunday. Lazarus actually, according to church history, went forth to become a pastor. And uh, on the equivalent of the gravestone of his culture, you know, their tomb, there are things perhaps written about them like we sometimes do on our gravestone. And on Lazarus it said, uh, Lazarus, Bishop of Larca, four days dead, friend of Jesus. Lazarus, Bishop of Larca, four days dead, friend of Jesus. The angels say, why do, you live for the, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is a tomb. Uh, living people aren't going to stay here. That's the first point. The second point is that it shows us, and Luke is confronting us with uh, this statement in order that we're reminded of how easily we forget that the resurrection changes everything. And so often, we operate in this world according to our eyes, And we fail to notice the significance and the implications of the resurrection. Matthew Henry says this. A warning is given to those that look for him, Jesus, among the dead. That look for him among the dead heroes that the Gentiles worship. Or among unwritten tradition and the inventions of men. Indeed, all they that expect happiness and satisfaction in created things. He's saying, if you're looking for your ultimate happiness, your ultimate satisfaction in created things, you're looking for the living among the dead. He goes on to say, if you're looking for perfection in this imperfect state, you are looking for the living among the dead. The resurrection changes everything. It reminds us that our ultimate hope, it's not in the kingdoms of this world, it's not in the systems of this world, the experiences of this world, all that will fade away. Our hope is found in Christ, who is seated in heaven, who promises to us eternal life, life in heaven, life in the new heavens and the new earth where sin and death and destruction will no longer reign. Hopeful, this makes us hopeful in despair. 
This makes us eternally minded without being fatalistic, right? We don't become obsessed with death. We live as long as God calls us to, but we're hopeful in despair. We're eternally minded without being fatalistic, right? This is the hope that God gives to us, not perfection in this imperfect state, but perfection in eternity. Verses 6 through 8 remind us of the core of the gospel message. He is risen. He has been raised. This brings us to the the, the pinnacle of the gospel of Luke. Excited to get here. Uh, For those of you who may be visiting with us, we've been going through the gospel of Luke uh, for quite a while now, and it almost matched up perfectly to where going verse by verse and passage by passage in the gospel of Luke, we arrived at this passage just on the perfect day. So, For those of you who are visiting, we've earned this. We got it all the way through Luke, building up for the last, I don't know, two plus years or so. Take my word for it. If you ask them, they'll give you some inflated number of how long Pastor Dan took to get through the Gospel of Luke. They say he's been risen. He's not here. The correct translation, or perhaps the more precise translation, would be this. He has been raised. It's a a passive there. And it's a divine passive, passive that brings us to the work of God. God the Father, by the power of the Spirit, raised up Christ from the dead. Why? Because he earned it. Romans chapter 1 says that the resurrection was the vindication of God. Romans 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. When Jesus is on the cross, remember at the end, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we talked about that as a a giving up of his life. He's giving it as an offering. I give my life to you. I give my life to you and I leave it to you to vindicate me to the world. He goes through the throes of death and hell and he is raised up again. Why? Because he was perfectly righteous, because he passed the test, because he was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He was the only one who could overcome the curse of sin. He bears sin in his human nature. He has the power to do so in consequence of his divine nature. And so when the gospel is proclaimed in the book of Acts, which is the next book Luke Luke writes, the apostle Peter says, God raised him up. God raised him up. God raised him up. God raised him because he vindicated Christ to the world. Because he earned the resurrection by his righteousness and by his life and by his sacrifice. Acts chapter 5, Peter says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so we read in Acts, There is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. This is where we find the supremacy of Christ, the only hope for eternal life. Why? Because only he went down into the depths to drink the dregs of God's wrath to the end, was faithful to the end, and raised up, vindicated to the world as God said, look at my son. Look at the perfection of my son. That's why we trust in Christ. That's why he is able to save us from our sin. That's why he is able to save us from our self-righteousness. That's why he is able to save any and all who come to him in faith. The quintessential picture of the gospel of forgiveness in Luke is the, the story of the prodigal son. And we talked about how you need to notice not only the younger son who goes and lives a life of rebellion and outright sin, you need to notice the older son as well, the elder brother 
who goes to his father when he throws the party for the prodigal son when he comes back. He says, Father, all these years I've been slaving for you and you've never given me what I deserve. The father says, all that I have is yours, son. The blessings that you will receive are yours because you're my son. And that we're reminded we need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from our self-righteousness. One theologian puts it wonderfully. He says, bring all of your sin, bring all of your bad deeds, but bring all of your good deeds and lay them at the foot of the cross. Because that what you think, that's what, that which you may convince yourself of is righteous and meriting God's favor is not going to be good enough. It's only the one who went down into the depths of death and sin and hell and wrath and absorbed it all for you. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Into thy free, freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into thy health. Out of my wants, into thy wealth. Out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. I know not the depths of your sin. I know it's deep enough to need Jesus. He has been risen. He has been raised. The angels say to these women, don't you remember this? Don't you remember this? That Jesus told you he's going to be handed over, he's going to be crucified. And uh, at that moment, you know, the devotion, the the wonderful faith of these women, they must have felt a little bit silly as they have the spices and the ointments in their hands coming to dress the corpse of Jesus. And they think to themselves, oh yeah, he did say that, didn't he? He did say he would be raised again. But how fickle the human heart is, how forgetful, how much we need to hear this again and again and again to be assured of the salvation we have. I think of that wonderful story while communism was sort of going through the, the, the Soviet bloc countries and uh, there's a, a legend that a man was sent out from the state to sort of go through the countryside and convince all the, the country folk, right, the peasants, about the need to reject the idea of God, to give yourself your life for the state and to, and to accept this newfangled way of going about life, this communism. And he goes to this one particular country village or country town and he has a monologue in the public square. It goes on and on and on for an hour, perhaps longer, telling all the people their belief in God is silly. And they need to evolve past that. And at the end of it, he gets, sits down. An old priest shuffles up to the lectern, the place where this man has just stomped on the Christian faith for a long time. And he simply says, Christ is risen. And the people thunder to their feet, familiar with the liturgy of the church, and they say, Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. The assurance and the comfort and the hope that comes from hearing this over and over and over again. We need to, at, at this church, we prize opening up the scriptures and looking at God's word. What does it have for us? Where's the wisdom, the instruction? God tells us how to live. We need to lean into all that. We dare not neglect the instruction that we find in scripture. But we dare not become mere moralists who do not have a risen and exalted savior. That is the center of our hope. That he is risen. That he is exalted. That he is alive. And alive forevermore. Finally, then, as we close, Peter comes running and he leaves marveling. With apologies to the women, I need to just make a quick point here. Uh, it's, been said that, uh, if the, that it's been said that the disciples concocted a story after Jesus had been crucified. They got together and they say, okay, how do we make the best out of this? We need to figure out something. So they made up the story of the gospel, right? Uh, 
If that were true, this would not have been how the story unfolded. Because at that moment, at that time, in that culture, uh, the, the voice, the witness of women was not even able to be used in court. They were not able to, to use uh, the witness of women in court. This would have been a non-starter for most people. The, the people who discover the resurrection of Christ are women? That would have been a non-starter for so many. But indeed, the goodness of our God and the Gospel of Luke has shown us again and again that God saves, and through faith in Jesus Christ, he saves all who come to him. But the disciples uh, respond perhaps how many people would have responded. Uh, these are idle tales. These are fables. The resurrection it couldn't have happened. It's interesting. People say, well, one of the reasons Christianity spread in the early centuries is because people back then were gullible. They, didn't seem, they don't seem gullible to us here in this passage, do they? They sound more like modern skeptics. They say, well, I know that a resurrection didn't happen. Except for Peter. The Gospel of John also tells us that John and Peter ran to the tomb. But Peter ran as soon as these women tell him Jesus has risen. He has been raised. And this week I was just captivated by this, this thought that Peter runs to the tomb. Think about the last time that uh, Jesus and Peter, their eyes have met. It's after Peter has denied his Lord and Jesus looks into his eyes and he remembers that Jesus said, I was going to do this and I told him that I wouldn't, that I would remain with him to the end, that I would go to death for him. And here I have failed. Peter, we need to be careful about determining exactly where Peter's heart is at this time in these moments. But I think Peter shows us a picture of the great confidence that comes forth to the gospel. That if Christ has been raised, it, it doesn't matter about your past or where you've been or how much you've denied or betrayed Jesus. If the tomb is empty, you need to run. Because the significance of that event cannot be overstated. Run to the tomb. Run to see if he has been raised. Reminds me of one of my favorite Puritan authors, Richard Sibbs, and uh, for those who come every week, you hear this over and over again. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in Peter, the one who, was, who became his worst betrayer, will now become his most, once again, his most faithful follower. There's really one part about uh, the, the translation that, uh, where the translators could have done better here. We read that the, the women were wondering to themselves about what was happening when they saw the tomb empty. And then we read that Peter wonders. Peter leaves wondering. That's really uh, not the best word to use there because it's a different Greek verb there. And what Peter is doing is he's not wondering. He's not confused. He's not bewildered. He's marveling. He's marveling. He sees the linen cloths and he knows that this is not a hoax Perhaps he has not put it all together yet, but this is a, a positive response. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, Luke has used this verb. When people look at the miracles of Jesus, when people hear the teachings of Jesus, and they have a positive response to it, they marvel at this man and at his teaching and as at his ministry. The news, the good news, leaves Peter astonished. Picture for us, come, come running and leave marveling all because of the news. This is the comfort that God gives to us. Will we use it? Will we notice it? Will we use what God has given to us for our good? Do not look for the living among the dead. 
Do not try to find the hope of Christ where it will not last, in the kingdoms of this world, in your bank account, in human achievement, in romantic love, in material possession. The happenings of this world and the news cycles are here today and gone tomorrow. Paris, Washington, D.C., Cairo, Beijing, these kingdoms will fall. But one thing will last forever. Someday the reports of a special council, what someone on the news tells you you cannot miss, all of these will fade away and be forgotten forever. But one thing remains, and that's the exact answer that we need now and forever. It will always be the best news. It will always be the only news that we need to press on in hope in the midst of this world, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's an old Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times, because, of course, the times that make life interesting are the times that no one wants to live through. Everyone who has a story does not want to tell it, Because those things that give us a history and a story are those things we don't want to live through again. And those kinds of things which we wouldn't wish upon others. Think about your life, Easter 2019. Think about the things that have happened between now and Easter 2018. Think about what's happened in the last 10 years of your life. For so many people, it's the bad things. It's the hurt. It's the pain. A fatal illness that slowly eats away at the life of a loved one. A best friend who barely recognizes you anymore. A terrible car accident. A life unjustly taken. God, once again, not answering your prayer for the second, third, or fourth time. The labored breathing of someone in a hospital bed, even now. D.A. Carson was famous for say, is famous for saying, and I love this, he said, I have nothing that a good Resurrection can't fix. I have nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. See, happy people have no history because they don't want to relive it, but joyful people have hope in the midst of despair. Joyful people are not afraid of the future and they're not afraid of recounting the past because their past is found in Christ. It's centered upon Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the history that through which we live and which we love to tell. That he came to this earth to be the sacrifice for sin, to be our sin substitute, to wash us clean forever. He did not remain in the grave. He is alive and he reigns forever at the Father's right hand, even now reigning. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. All will bow the knee to him. Heaven and earth themselves will pass away. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Daddy, did you hear? Have you heard the news? History's best, ultimate, enduring timeline. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news. That gives meaning to our past, help in the present, and hope for the future. May we not trust in that which is here below. May we trust in the anchor for our souls, Jesus Christ. Our anchor goes up. 
He lives and he reigns at your right hand. We take comfort in him. In the storms of this life, when the mountains are thrown into the heart of the sea, we know that he leads us beside the still waters of grace. Surrounded by enemies, may we remember the peace that you give and rejoice because of it. In Christ's name, amen. Stand together and sing all the verses of number 358. The strife is o'er, the battle done. 358 in our blue hymnal, all the verses. The strife is o'er, the battle done. in his grace receive God's benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.